Hey, what's up? It's episode 116, pain points of wealth, and the market continues to go higher despite a banking crisis. As interest rates are starting to come down, things don't seem as dire as once thought. Well, we'll give you our thoughts today, as always, on what we see right now with the 10-year Treasury now at 3.5%. Markets inching higher throughout the year here. And what's next in the economy, in the market? You'll get our two cents. And on the tipping point today, we got a very special guest. We have my friend Chad Madden, entrepreneur, had a liquidity event. He's going to talk about the psychology of money, the thoughts, processes he went through to have that liquidity event. Things will be helpful for you with your journey to financial independence. Check it out. We got a fantastic show. Well, guys, I recently heard Fed Chair Chairman Powell say that he's not even thinking about lowering rates. But, you know, I also recall, recall hearing him say over a year ago he wasn't thinking about raising rates and he went ahead and did it anyway. Well, you know, I've been getting these questions from our clients like, Bob, when was Jerome Powell or Janet Yellen smart? What, can you name a time ever? <laughs> I mean, I mean, they just they make these conflicting comments. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the body language on Jerome Powell that last week's conference call. Wasn't very reassuring. It was almost like, well, nobody saw the banking crisis coming. You know, why would I see it? I'm only the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to your thesis, Bob. Is they're just making it up, and I think they are just making it up because we don't even really know, you know, what real effects raising interest rates, lowering interest rates has on the overall economy, given the fact that most people mortgages are fixed now. Um, you know, despite obviously real estate, where it's, it has a real effect on new mortgages. But I think there's just so many unknowns. All the while, you know, one thing we've talked about over and over again is the economy to us looks relatively healthy, not the kind of economy that's ready to fall off a cliff or looks recessionary. Because if you listen to the experts last year, we'd be in a recession right now. Yeah, but Rod, you're obviously not watching the right channels because they come <laughs> on and say, you know, we're not in recession, even though we said we were. Uh, but it's coming. You know, it has to come because, you know, they, they just keep changing their narrative to support their bearish outlook. Uh, you know, I mean, right now the estimate is we might have a two to 3% positive gross domestic product GDP for the first quarter, not a negative. Um, but what's scary is what Powell's projecting a negative GDP for the year, which means he's hell bent on causing a recession. At least that's what he seems to be saying. Who knows what he's saying? He changes every day. And all the while the 10 year treasury keeps coming down, gas prices keep coming down and people are spending money. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you take a look at a lot of these economic numbers, which, you know, because we read everything, you know, we're we're finding these, you know, these green shoots. We're finding these positive uh, things that are happening in the economy. You never see them mentioned on national TV. I'm not sure why. Yeah, no, it's always, it's always how bad things are. I mean, the only the only place a recession exists is in the media. <laughs> you know, it's like you go on the real world. <laughs> well, in all I, fairness, I, we've had yeah. we've had some slowdown. We've had a rolling recession. I mean, if you're in the housing industry, you've definitely have had a recession, right? I mean, a lot of our clients who are in the building trades have laid people off. Um, but you know, with the ten year Treasury down around three and a half, all of a sudden mortgage rates are dropping, housing housing markets heating up again. Yeah, no, and that's exactly right, because there's a big demand for housing. I mean, if you look at it, we're still undersupplied for, for homes in the U.S. We have lots of millennials that want homes. So the supply and demand there speaks to we should have a relatively strong housing market moving forward, especially if interest rates come down. But I, but I do think when you go out in the real economy, and I remember this during the great financial crisis, you know, you'd walk out your door, the news was bad, but so was the economy, right? I mean, you, you could see it. You could see people didn't have jobs. Um, you, you could see that the economy was a lot slower, 
But when you travel or you go outside now, it just doesn't have that same type of vibe. If you could call, I don't know if that's a professional way of looking at it, but you know, it doesn't really correlate with what you're seeing in the real economy. And not to discount to your point, Bob, some sectors are getting hurt here, but for the most part, when people's wages are going up, they have money to spend. And, you know, even what they saved during the pandemic, it's still like something like just under a trillion dollars. So, you know, this is not the combination, again, to see the, the economy really start to falter here. You know, you, know, you look at the baby boomers, you know, my generation, as I mentioned on the podcast weeks ago, you know, we may be the cause for this employment shortage, right? This, uh, this unemployment uh, number being so low. Uh, because first of all, you have a lot of baby boomers who retired early um, during COVID and, and never went back into the workforce. And now that we, a lot of us are retired, you know, nobody wants to stay home and, and cook dinner. They're all going out to dinner. So there's a big demand for restaurants or restaurant workers. And we're going to talk to Chad later, who owns that PT business. Um, you know, we're all falling apart at the same time as we're trying to, you know, keep it together. But there's a big demand for PTs because I'll tell you what, guys. I wake up every day. It sounds like your favorite cereal, Snap, Crackle, and Pop, Rice Krispies. I mean, it's, it's not the same body I had 50 years ago. Oh, come on. It's those pain, cheap Irish jeans. Yeah. It's true. Somehow, though, it hasn't affected Bob's hair, but, you know, who knows? It's true. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> two pain tapes working today, guys. I think the one mistake that I see with investors right now is, you know, technology has had a magnificent run up this year, and the NASDAQ is leading the way. It's up like something like 16% as we're recording this. But it's still about 15% from its all-time record high. Um, but if you look at valuations there, they're still really, really high. I was at a business organization out skiing in uh, Canada this past weekend, um, you know, quote-unquote business trip. Uh, and I was talking to a lot of these guys, all entrepreneurs, own their own businesses. So you get a lot of insight to what's going on right now. And everybody talks about owning the same stocks, whether it's NVIDIA, you know, Amazon, Google, and it just seems to me those stocks are still well off their highs, maybe not NVIDIA. Uh, valuations are still extremely high. It's, it's probably a dangerous place to get seduced back into is that tech trade. Yeah, I would say probably the only good thing there would be that it's, it's getting a little bit of a bounce. It's a good time maybe to start, uh, start getting rid of some of that stuff. But, you know, I, I do have to make a point here. You know, Ryan, you go off and go skiing and you talk to entrepreneurs. It's considered a business trip. You know, I go sailing and talk to entrepreneurs and I'm on vacation. I don't get it. <laughs> and just as long as I'm here keeping the keeping things going at Payne Capital, you guys just keep going out there and play every week. I'm I'm okay with it. Well, there's one boomer out there that's not willing to retire. There you go. <laughs> Who happens to have great hair. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, it just goes to show why diversification is so critical, right? Even though you know growth got overvalued last year, and you know, truth be told, we we did underweight it about two years ago, underweight it, but reduced our exposure back to our target. Um, you, know, you never want to eliminate any segment of your portfolio because you do will you will have surprises to the upside and a downside. But you know, in some cases, you know there are some large growth companies like Apple, for example, has gigantic cash positions. They're finally making money, you know, passive income on their cash positions because you know they're not like the Silicon Valley venture capital investors. They actually you know make sure they get a return on their capital. So you know, there's the key is you don't you don't want to ever speculate on one company, one industry. One area of the economy, you know, it's it's so diverse, right? You got to trust, but diversify, as we say now. Uh, that's the key. So, you know, will this tech run continue? Probably not. Um, but meanwhile, you've got great value companies that, you know, that are exposed to, you know, the financial industry and the energy industry, which are going through a little correction right now. There's they're a great place to put money. So there's always opportunity. There's opportunity in chaos. That's what we always say. Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 
116 pain points of wealth. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. But if you're thinking to yourself, I want a more hands-on approach, I've saved over a million dollars for my financial independence. Well, Bob, Chris, and I will run for you our total financial master plan. We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We do work, all the work up front that no other firm will do at no cost. We literally will build you your own personalized financial portal. We're going to hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan. How do you draw from your portfolio? How do you factor in Social Security? If you're getting close to retirement, how do you actually create that income plan to live on? How do you factor in inflation? We'll put together a full income plan for you so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Did your portfolio get hit hard here as markets have been extremely volatile over the course of the last year or so? Or have you been sitting in cash paralysis by analysis, rolling CDs or treasuries, trying to figure out what to do? We're going to put together a full investment game plan, show you how to grow your money, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we'll look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products like annuities, mutual funds, insurance products, whole life policies, brokerage products. We go through every investment you own, a deep dive, show you how to reduce your cost and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's not what you make. It's what you take. We'll give you our full tax playbook. So if you've saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan, simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right, it's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And we've got a really special guest on the show today. we got a good friend of mine. Chad Madden, uh, entrepreneur, has several different businesses, uh, owns a physical therapy practice. And what I thought would be interesting about having Chad on the show today is he's recently been through a liquidity event. And you know, one thing we do at Pain Capital Management, we help a lot of people guide them when they have that big event. And it's like, okay, now I'm not generating income from my business. I have this chunk of money. What do I do with it? And you know, Chad's been through that process. So I thought it'd be great to have on the show. Chad, awesome to have you here today. Really appreciate it. And you worked on my back once, which uh, worked wonders. So, <laughs> man, I, I owe you on so many fronts. Huge honor to be here, Ryan. Thank, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so I thought maybe you could just talk a little about your journey. Um, you know, you've had the, the opportunity to sell a percentage of your business, one of your businesses. You have several businesses. Um, and just maybe talk a little bit about just, you know, what was the mindset going into that um, and thinking about like, hey, all of a sudden here, I've got to make some decisions about my money that I didn't have to make before. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about that journey, I think that'd be really helpful for our listeners today. Yeah, sure. So I've had a physical therapy practice uh, coming up on 20 years. Currently, we have a little over 100 employees. We're doing about, I think last year we did around 8 million in revenue, a little bit north of that. Um, so we, I have multiple partners. I had been selling off internally for years. A little over a year ago, we had a conversation um, well, I guess almost two years ago now. And I said, listen, here's what we can do. I'm not going to go under 50%. I'm still active in the business. Would we like to go internal or external? They chose external. I completely supported the decision. And we found the right external partner. By the way, all of this is public knowledge. So I'm not, I won't be sticking my <laughs> foot in my mouth too much here with an NDA or anything like that. Uh, we found the right partner. We went through the, the liquidity event. And the biggest it, Ryan, I think you already alluded to a couple points, but 
um, I wanted to avoid the pitfalls um, that were very much prevalent. You know, it's it's easy to be a high income earner. You know, if somebody's making five hundred k, two million a year, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden that is gone because there's there's no more equity. You know, or you you liquidate uh, some of the equity. There's an expectation that you can keep living at that five hundred thousand or two million dollar, whatever it is, uh, that that sort of income level, and get yourself in a lot of trouble. So yeah, you can ask me questions around that, but we put a lot of prep in as we were going through the due diligence process with uh, USPH, who's the partner. I also did a lot of prep with my family at home to make sure that we weren't going to be, you know, a, a retired NFL player who played in the league for four years and now is claiming bankruptcy. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't make that mistake as well. Well, what were some of the steps you took to prepare for that? To say, hey, I, I like that analogy, right? You hear about all the time how some NFL player, uh, right, it, it made all this huge salary, made a lot of money, then all of a sudden, you know, they have nothing left. So what were some of the preparation or steps you did uh, to make sure that when the liquidity event came, you knew you were going to be in a good place? Yeah. So I reached out to people who had been through it before and had done, ended up in a spot that I wanted to be in. So that, that was a, if I can say anything, that was our, my best first step was learning from those stakes and the wisdom of other people. I know Bob's constantly dropping wisdom here on the podcast, by the way, Bob, love all your references and quotes. Uh, thank you. Always very entertaining on my drive in here to work. So thank you for that. <laughs> Bob isn't, but, uh, <laughs> it's good to know Bob and Bob's an entertaining somebody. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, big here in central Pennsylvania, at, at least at least with me, Bob. Uh, so we, you know, I, I did that. I talked with some people. I had a good idea of what the pitfalls were. Um, the number one pitfall was that idea of that, hey, here's my living, my run rate that I'm living on, and I need to continue at that run rate after the event. Um, the biggest thing is getting my wife, you know, on board. And that was another devastating factor that I had seen play out in some other scenarios. So um, what we did is we talked with a mutual friend of ours, Ryan, uh, Peter Schallard, who does, uh, I, I think his moniker is the Shrink for Entrepreneurs. <laughs> and, uh, we, and he had us work through some exercises. We ended up buying, you know, a series of sessions with him. And really what he did was he talked through here's what I see work really well. And this is what doesn't work so well. And the, you know, these are some of the mistakes that people make. And he had us read the psychology of money, which you mentioned before, uh, Morgan Housel, I believe is the, the author. And, uh, my wife and I read that together and then we created a plan. So, and basically we said, this is going to be asset money. So in the event, you know, getting a, a check for whatever it is, seven, eight figures, when that comes through the door, that can be overwhelming. And mm -hmm. we just, we agreed to have a plan that we weren't going to touch that. And that was going to be asset money because I'm also a father of six and I only have one out of the house right now. <laughs> so five. <laughs> no. Yeah. No uh, pressure. Our youngest is, yeah. Yeah. Our youngest is five. So I wanted to make sure we weren't making mistakes, you know, going out and buying a, a vacation house or sorry, Chris, you know, going out and buying a boat. Um, <laughs> although I'd, I'd probably go with a bash track or something like that, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't, that we didn't do that. Um, immediately and, and make a major mistake there where we're having to make payments in the future. And I mean, that makes sense because, you know, entrepreneurs um, don't think they're taking risk, right? We, well, when, when you're an entrepreneur, you're just doing what comes naturally. You believe it's, 
you know, why doesn't everybody else understand this? And why do people think what I'm doing is risky? Um, so I think that's kind of, I understand that mindset. Um, but I think it was brilliant on your part, you know, not to, you know, not make any big changes once you have that liquidity event, you know, you see it happen with lottery winners, you see it happen with NFL players, right? Um, you know, there's a sudden change in wealth and you think it's going to last forever. Entrepreneurial success does not equal investment success. Amen. Yeah. They're, they're two very different skill sets. And what Peter walked us through is he said, you know, just because you understand how to invest in your business, how to employ people, how to, you know, grow, expand, et cetera, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able an, an ace in the market. And I'm so glad that we had that conversation and he, you know, uh, it was a breath of fresh air in terms of bringing us to reality that, you know, you know, don't think that you know how to invest in other companies just because you had a, you know, an amazing run here. Yeah, Chad, we've had, um, we've had clients in the past where they had a big liquidity event and they were paralyzed, you know, their paralysis by analysis because they, they didn't want to go work with a professional initially. So they, they, you know, got in their office, bought every book out there on investing and literally didn't stop all their activities and just studied every day. And there was so much overwhelming information. They couldn't make a move. So they're, they're sitting there not, you know, losing money because it wasn't making money. And um, they finally just uh, want to, you know, get some advice like you did um, and, you know, see that there's, there's different ways and different people have an understanding far beyond, you know, sitting in an office reading books they'll ever give you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that happens. And again, it's that entrepreneurial mindset. Hey, I, I ran a business. I can analyze companies. I can run any business, right? You see a lot of entrepreneurs go out there and buy restaurants. Suddenly they fail. What a shock. You know, it's, it's a whole different, different skill set, as you say. Yeah, that, that's hilarious, Bob. I literally have a friend who just told me that he bought a restaurant. Oh, my. It was two days ago. So, uh, yeah, same, same idea. He nailed it. Yeah. Which is like the hardest business. Yeah, we, we had one yeah. client who bought a restaurant just so he could design the yeah. wine list. Because he loved wine that much. You know, how could it have gone so wrong? How could that thing have gone under? Well, wait a second. It, it makes for a good tax loss harvest. <laughs> Yeah, that's it, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, there's always a positive, and every you see a silver lining, Chris, in every bad scenario, don't you? Well, it is funny too, Chad, because you know, you and I are part of a, a business organization with a lot of entrepreneurs, and I think that is the big mindset, is like the do-it-yourself mindset. Um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs learn though in this last cycle down here with like crypto falling apart and a lot of these other esoteric assets falling apart. That oh, you know, maybe this is more treacherous. Than I initially thought. Let's start with this. I'm I was brought up very conservative. So I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, almost Lancaster County. Uh, we just opened up in Lancaster County. So I literally have a Mennonite farm 400 yards from my house. So that, <laughs> I mean, that's the the area that I and the culture that I was essentially raised in um, blue collar parents who were ultra conservative with money and uh, very much instilled that in me. So it, I, I didn't have personal debt going into the deal um, and you know, had enough discipline to understand that I wasn't going to you know, do anything extravagant with that um, in terms of our, you know, with our kids. And by the way, Bob, um, also thank you for, the, the number one thing on my mind after this, a year later, is wealth transfer to my children. So I learned from you that it's now 17,000 a year. Yes. Right. Yep. So, um, you know, my wife and I are well taken care of, and we already had passive income from real estate entities that covered our monthly spend. So ultra, ultra conservative. 
um, just to set the table there because, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm also, I don't have the living expenses of living in Manhattan or San Francisco or, um, you know, a, a Los Angeles and other market like that. Chad, did I, did I read this correctly? You're, uh, you, you currently live on a farm and you have animals that you need to care for and everything. Yeah, we do. So we have a little farm at Chris, um, actually just got a shipment of, uh, alpaca socks here. So we have, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to send them to you. We have alpacas, uh, mini donkeys, uh, two horses now, some chickens. Yeah, it's pretty, it, it, it's what my wife and I wanted to do. We also have a greenhouse and grow a lot of food and stuff like that. Wanted to raise our, our children um, in that type of environment and uh, agreed on doing that and uh, bought that farm about 10 years ago. Yes. Yeah, Chad, I always wondered, does Lamborghini or Ferrari make a buggy <laughs> that you could, you know, go out and sp spend on, you know, go, go crazy? It, Bob, it is amazing to me when I go to some of these markets. Uh, Amish men carry a lot of cash, <laughs> so they right? could. Yeah, uh, it is un. It is absolutely un. I've seen quite a few gentlemen walk around with ten thousand dollars plus in cash. Um, so yes, I'm sure that they can afford the the Lamborghini or the uh, the Lotus, <laughs> the Lotus buggy. Yes. No, it was, it was one time I was driving through Lancaster County, uh, and uh, I passed by a drive-through ATM, and I literally saw a buggy going through the drive-through ATM. Pretty, pretty common. Yes. It's very surreal. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chad, in terms of investing, I mean, have you have you encountered anything different? You know, based on where you started, and and in terms of preserving this principle, um, we've been through some pretty volatile markets in the last couple of years. Uh, what uh, what surprised you? What was unexpected, and what's working as expected? Yeah, so um, I, and unfortunately, Bob, I did very much what you said, which was I read every investment book <laughs> in preparation for this event that I could possibly get into, and in the end, I, I thought that I could be putting a lot of work in for no arbitrage at all. That I wasn't going to beat the market, or I wasn't going to see something um, magical. So basic, everything that you talk about, you know, basic index funds uh, that mimic the market very much the way to go. I had been testing different things probably for the last seven years in terms of um, advi various advisors that we had worked with, you know, some robo advisors like, uh, yeah, th that exist out there and just seeing mm -hmm. how they uh, think about spreading. But yeah, we, um, I try not to watch it. I don't do a great job at that. You know, with, with our real estate, I don't get the appraisal every 10 a.m. every day on how much our buildings are worth. So I, I never think about that. And I wish I did the same with uh, stock investing, but that's a that's a work in progress. Well, you know, I will tell you, Chad, that the stock market will break your heart every day, um, you know, because it only, only spends 5% of its time at new highs. So basically 95% of the time it's below where you'd want it to be. Um, and I think the less you watch it, the better it is because it's just like a business, right? You don't have to watch your business every day, the valuation. You have to watch, you know, you have to work in your business every day. But, you know, the less you watch, uh, the, the more comfortable you become. And, and the market just re reflects any business, right? So it, it, the business grows over time. Um, so that's, you know, that's good advice. You know, it's like, um, it's the other thing I, I was saying to the guys the other day, you know, portfolios like soap, right? The more you handle it, the less you have. So <laughs> <laughs> good idea just to, you know, let the markets work for you. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It, it Long-term trends can't be defeated. So everything that we do, we try to have, um, and luckily I did. So I still have a lot of cash on hand. I've been uh, dripping it in the first of every month at a, at a nice clip, um, but that'll take us about four or five years to fully invest that equity money in the, in, 
or that that asset money into equities yeah. um, that we got from the liquidation event. Yeah, Bob's already appalled. Um, <laughs> compounding is your friend. Um, no, so only that doesn't mean it's not invested. So I, you know, I, I'm still getting four or five percent on a, yeah, some some short term, safer or you know less volatile investments. Bob wants to tell you about reinvestment risk, but we, we don't have time for it on the show. But <laughs> so, I'm biting my tongue. Yeah. I, so this is an interesting question. So, I mean, obviously it sounds like you've kind of done this hybrid, do it yourself with some, some ancillary advice from other advisors. Um, and it sounds like you have different, what I would call pockets of money. Like you have your passive real estate. Um, you know, you have your hand in a couple of different entrepreneurial ventures. Like I know you have your marketing company. Um, you know, like how do you see, do you have like a certain percent you want to have what you would call this like safe pocket over here versus your passive income uh, pocket over here? Like, like, how do you view that um, when you're thinking about the, you know, the entire Madden, I guess we'll call it a, a state um, or enterprise? Yeah. So, and that's a great question. Um, I, I don't even, what I'm about to say, I've never read anything like this, um, but it's just been my own experience talking with other entrepreneurs. Um, first of all, a, a business, a small to medium sized business that is entrepreneurial is very risky. And it carries much higher risk than what we might give it credit for. And, you know, and you know, it's three-year time machine. We were all pretty scared that we were going to be out of business, right, um, in the beginning of the pandemic. So, anyhow, the, along those lines, what we, what I've done over time is um, earn money through the business, live on a, a relative amount where we were able to, you know, live life and do the Disney trips and everything else that we wanted to do with our family. So I'm, I'm not a miser. <laughs> uh, my, my wife is, uh, I think she calls herself the spending coach. Um, but, uh, I love that. So we, yeah, I mean, we do, we do enjoy it. We're on the same page. We put a lot of work into thinking about our finances and family and planning forward for, you know, everything there, but make money from the business, the, 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 the primary business, the PT business has kicked off cash for years, live on less than what we're earning and invest in the beginning. It was invest in real estate. Maybe not the best decision ever, but it, it's worked out well not a bad for decision, us yeah. um, up to a certain point. And then about 10 years ago, we started getting more into long-term equities and working with, I mean, for years we worked with you, Ryan, and, and your team. You did an amazing job with us, uh, for us, for all of our employees. By the way, I, I didn't share this before, but we had uh, an employee retire about a month ago from our PT business. And she thanks you very much for the work that you and your group did on her behalf. So um, yeah, that, it, it, the, I think that has to be there for any entrepreneur for the what we talked about earlier, um, where you know just because entrepreneurial skill does not e equal investment skill. Yeah. So we, we have these passive income investments. I never took any equity out of the real estate and we've just allowed that to compound over years. That has worked out well. We poured the rest into equities over time and now just continue to do that. There's, a, there's another journey uh, that I'll go through super quick, but when we get started as entrepreneurs, we tend to focus on impact. We're gonna change the world. And then once we get out and we get beat up a little bit, then it, <laughs> we have some sort of compromise or goal around money. So it becomes a financial goal and then it rotates. Once we solve that, it usually rotates to time and then back to impact. So my wife and I, you know, going through the uh, psychology of money stuff, we focused a lot more on how can we impact the future 
Um, and how can we buy time? So we just, we're, we're, it's an invaluable asset, right? I've heard, uh, you know, inside people with Warren Buffett talk, say that that is all he focuses on now is his, you know, massive limitation of time as he's um, thinking about the end of his life right now. So th that, that really struck me. And it's like, wh what can we do now, you know, while we're in our uh, 40s, um, especially with our children, where we're, we're making a big impact and we're really enjoying our time as much as possible. So I try not to worry about a single percentage point in any of our investments. Lose sleep over, you know, we could have made 17% instead of 16.3%. Brilliant. And, you yeah. know, Chad, you really hit a chord as far as the, the time aspect. You know, that's, uh, you know, you hear that time and time again. You see it as you get older and you start working. I mean, how have you been able to buy back time? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, years ago, Chris, my, my neighbors used to make fun of me because I was, I think when I opened, I was 26 years old and uh, opened the first business, 26. And we moved into a development, you know, a uh, classic suburban development that's exist everywhere in the US. And uh, I paid somebody to mow our lawn. And they and now I, I even I used to mow lawn for, you know, while I was yeah, uh, mow grass while I was working through college and everything else. You know, how anyhow, to do it. my neighbors would what's that? I said, you know how to do it. I'm like, uh, Bob and his son. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can mow grass. But <laughs> I, I, I did some quick math. And I was like, wow, like this is an hour every week. Um, and you know, it, I have a family now. So if I calculate this out and I have, you know, 30 mows a year, this is 30 hours plus everything else, you know, in, involved in the maintenance and all this other stuff that I could be buying back for maybe a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks a year. I can buy 30 hours of time. Like that is, I'll, I'll do that forever. So, yeah. you know, um, th that's just one example of how we think through that. So, you know, we have a lot of children, um, we do have help and we think about any chore that we can hire out that we don't enjoy doing that um, and allows us to spend more time with our children and doing things on the farm. We do that constantly. So, we're, you know, we'll pay 30, 50, 100 bucks an hour to hire somebody just so we we're buying back that time. Well, you know, you're in good company here. Bob, Bob is the master delegator. Oh, yeah. is there a good story there, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, you discovered, I discovered just a little earlier than you did. That's all. <laughs> like, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. Always delegate stuff that anybody else, somebody yeah. else can do. So you can spend time to what you want. <laughs> yeah. Chad, in other words, we can invest your portfolio, but we probably can't fix uh, a light bulb in our apartment. Actually, Chris might be able to, but I probably can <laughs> barely change a light bulb in my apartment um, because Bob never taught us those skills as youngsters. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, and we, we certainly don't know how to mow a lawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, do you have a lawn, Chris? No. Well, <laughs> is right. problem. <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> Chris, when you were three, you had a toy lawnmower. You used to pretend to mow the lawn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. I was I wasn't cutting anything now. No. But it, it blew bubbles instead. Yeah, exactly. it blew bubbles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one question I'm curious about is, and this is probably really helpful for our listeners, is just like going through this whole process of having a liquidity event. Um, and obviously, you've done a phenomenal job saving anyway. I mean, obviously, it's always been a game plan. A financial plan has always been something that you you seem like you've you've built along the way, which is fantastic. 
But is there anything, you know, in retrospect, you wish you would have done differently um, as you went through this process of having a liquidity event um, that you did that maybe if you did it again, you would do differently that might help our listeners? Is there anything I would do differently? Yeah, it, well, the, oh. <laughs> great question, obviously. <laughs> um, so the, my, my wife and I did something in the beginning um, that we, you know, we said we wanted to, uh, we had to give ourselves some sort of reward for completing this. Um, I, so she always wanted a Jeep, uh, a, a Jeep Wrangler. We actually, and, uh, she had one briefly before, but we ended up doing that. And, um, the, and, and actually we bought a used Jeep, which is even crazier. So we, we bought a, a late model Jeep, had low mileage on it. She was super happy. And then she said, you need to do something for yourself as well. And I was like, ah, like that don't really want another vehicle that, you know, I'm not sure exactly what this looks like. Maybe it's an experience. Um, and anyhow, I had it in my mind that I wanted a watch, uh, that I never really had a nice watch. And I was like, I'm going to do this. So I went to buy, uh, I always wanted a Rolex and I don't know why, probably some like sort of ego status thing. Like I fell for it. And, uh, hopefully the three of you aren't wearing Rolexes right now. Um, but, uh, it wasn't necessarily, I'm hiding it. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but I, so I went in, there are none available in central Pennsylvania. There's this huge Rolex shortage. And I ended up, uh, like probably wasting more time tracking down a Rolex, like was even considering like flying to, uh, Switzerland, uh, you know, to pick oh, up a Rolex. Man. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is like way out of who I am. And uh, anyhow, so just put my name on a waiting list. And then one day I got a call and it was the model that I was looking for. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I felt that I got what I look, but I, I don't like to wear it because I think it's. Uh, ah, ironically. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it doesn't fit with like who I am or I feel like people look at me funny unless they're, you know, a Rolex. Yeah. Anyhow, so I, I'd say that was a mistake for me and probably could have done something different with that money. Interesting. Um, I feel you would look pretty flashy with those Mennonites out there in, in central Pennsylvania. <laughs> they do not wear, I can, I guarantee they do not wear a, a timepiece, no Apple watches in the Amish community that I've seen. Um, th th there's something else that I, I thought about when we were talking about that. S Steph and I created a family budget and we also do like a quarterly meeting where we address like, here's our assets. This is what we've earned. And then um, these are big expenditures that we have coming up. So I'm um, trying to think of a good one. We just had uh, trees removed on our property. Uh, they're surprisingly expensive to remove. Um, and then we have a, you know, some other landscaping going in that we wanted that it, it's a, it's an expense that's out of the ordinary. So we always agree on that ahead of time. We created a budget for 2022, the year that we had the event, and we did not stick to it. However, because of that quarterly event, so that was a pretty big mistake. It, and very quickly, it was like, wow, like, look at this, the money that we have in our bank accounts. And there, there was some slippage there. So at the end of the year, we just did an analysis. We said, here's what we said we were going to spend. This is what we actually spent. And what do we want to do here moving forward? Because if we continue at this rate, here's when we run out of money. Unless we're getting, you know, some ridiculous return on our money, like, something that was being reasonable, like 15 or 20% a year or something like that. So, and when I gave her that number, um, that, that was pretty, 
jarring. You know, I said here, this is what our timeline looks like now. If we would liquidate everything and we would continue at this rate, here's what's going to happen. And I said, you know, can't we just go back to the plan and find some contentment and happiness there? So uh, that was a, a mistake that we made initially, but, you know, quickly reset that just because we had the checks and balances in by working with specialists and learning from other people like yourself. That's great. You were able to figure that out. I mean, it's like, I think a lot of times when, when it comes to money, you know, spending becomes a habit. So it's like, once you get in the habit, it becomes hard to break. So the fact that you're able to go back and say, you know what, we're, this, this is the end result. If we continue on this path, you know, the, the planning aspect, I think, I think that's huge that you guys were able to do that. Very lucky, Chris, you know, to have a wonderful partner at home and then also be um, in touch with great business minds as well. So I don't think it's anything special that we did, but uh, appreciate the acknowledgement. And we just executed on what other people recommended that we do. I, I, in, your, uh, in, your, in your future expenses, did you factor in six kids going to Ivy League schools at 85000 a year? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping, I, I think we have it under control. Okay. So uh, yeah, yeah. We, um, there, there was a joke for a while that we would buy a commercial property for every time that we had a kid. So uh, <laughs> that, that has worked out pretty well for us and we haven't spent that money yet. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping I can rely on that. But yes, the cost of education is a major concern going forward, Bob, because 85K is a lot more than 20K of what it was. I was just shocked that I saw that number yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It's the bubble that'll never pop. No, that's uh, I've been calling for a top intuition since 1975. I've been so wrong. <laughs> There's no way this continued continue, continue to climb at double the inflation rate. Um, yeah. And it's just, it, it just uh, you know, it's gra gravity, gravity defying. It was up every year, double inflation. It's incredible. Well, if everybody just works in the coal mines for a couple of years, it'd be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have a lot of clients who never went to an Ivy school or went to college ever and uh, have done very well. So it's, you know, an entrepreneur doesn't necessarily need college. Yeah, exactly. I want to, another question for you too, Chad, just moving ahead. Um, yeah, obviously you still have five kids in the house, but no pressure. Um, what do you think about when you think about financial independence down the line? I mean, is that, is it for you from a concept perspective? Is it like at some point you just want to live off all your assets or you want to keep working because you don't have to work? We have the, we call that the proverbial FU money. Um, but like, what, what is your view of the future and financial independence? What does that look like for you? FU stands for fun. Obviously. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I, <laughs> I under understanding, you know, that, that mental model that I talked about before in terms of the, the entrepreneurial journey, uh, for, for me right now, you know, it's where are my unique strengths? Where do I bring a lot of value in the marketplace and where can I focus a lot of my time? Um, you know, we all have, uh, parents and, you know, personal health scares and all that stuff that we have to mitigate as well. So I think about very much not, not jeopardizing or not committing my time in the future where I'm locked into something that ultimately I can't decide to, to leave that. So I don't have a date, Ryan, like, you know, when I'm 50 years old, I don't want to have, you know, I want to be in a position where I don't have to work anymore or that I won't work anymore, that I'll completely retire. Um, I love what I'm involved with right now. The various yeah. uh, businesses really enjoy working with my partners think we're making a difference in quite a few communities and, you know, ultimately fulfilling what is my passion and purpose. So I'll continue to do that. But I like not having the pressure to of if I don't make this happen today, that my five kids are going to be starving tomorrow. 
So, or, you know, they're not going to be able to go to the, the college or university or have an educational opportunity that they really, um, that I really want them to have. Yeah. Beautifully said. That's, that's really cool. All right. So Chad, you know, we, we have a, we have a pretty active, uh, client base, you know, as people are getting older, you know, trying to stay active and this is more, more on the physical therapy side, you know, what in your mind, like to keep people active, limber and that kind of thing, like, what do you recommend that people focus on as far as, you know, staying fit and, you know, keeping flexible and being active in their later years? Yeah. So if, if we're talking strictly exercise, Chris, some form of walking, like when we see, you know, somebody in their seventies, eighties, nineties, lose the ability to walk that it, that's devastating that you know health quickly declines from there um, cognition mental health quickly declines from there and um, that you know is, essentially life is coming near an end when we see that happen so walk <laughs> walk daily just move it doesn't have you know it should be something that you're passionate about very i hate to run for example and i was very much and my dad is a huge runner um, oh, cool. still running in his seventies and, uh, gr you know, admire him for his discipline and everything else that he does. Um, but I was like, I hate to run. So what <laughs> else can I do? I wrestle three days a week still and in a gym. And then I rock, which is literally walking with a weighted backpack. And it's more than enough for me just to keep moving. I'll say, um, something else that is often missed is especially as we age sleep, is overlooked in quality sleep. There's a ton of work out there. And I mean, books that you can reference, Matthew Walker is my favorite scientist in the sleep realm. And then diet is key as well, because it's easy, you know, especially after a liquidity event or after we're not working so much anymore, just to grab what is ever in the cupboard. And usually we make pretty poor selections in, in diet and nutrition long-term. So just as a, as a species, we're not amazing at, uh, at, at selecting you know, nutritious food that isn't going to kill us. So um, the focus in those three areas is key. And what, what we found in the plan is that, you know, my wife and I and our children are going to be, and our parents are going to be as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So again, we get back to that time issue that we were talking about before. So it's yeah. another way of buying back time is to uh, get out and walk every day and make sure you eat those healthy foods. Exactly. And, and, and it's not 10,000 steps. It's walk for 20 minutes a day. If you can't walk for 20 minutes, walk for 10, because 20 minutes is fairly easy to get to. Um, do what you can today, and but don't lose walking. Keep, keep that as long as you can. All right. How much weight do you put in that rucksack? Uh, up to 50 right now. Wow. There you go. That's awesome. And, but I'm not going far. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, it, you know, three-mile rock with 50 pounds is That's legit. pretty solid Yeah. for me. What do you mean you like to run? You ran track for three years. <laughs> we, we all ran on a chat here. We all, we all ran track competitively. So yeah, we were all runners, Chad. I picked that up. Yeah. Bob, I ran track as well, which is why I know that I don't like to run. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes to run. We didn't like it either. When I was a kid, you didn't go out and play track, right? We played yeah. basketball, football, yeah. baseball. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Chad, real quick. What were your events in track? 400 pole vault. Quarter mile and pole vault. Oh, okay. There you go. Wow. Not good at either one, Chris. <laughs> well, the, the, come on. A quarter mile is a tough event. Yeah. Yeah. We won't ask your time. We'll save you that. Uh, <laughs> we're very competitive over here. I think uh, 54.17 was my best time. Yeah. Not, not bad. Like I said, yeah, not amazing. Not bad. I think Bob ran a 49, didn't you, Bob? I ran 54 the first leg of my half. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's some bragging rights. Um, 
And yeah. Chad, I looked at every, we asked this to every guest, last question. If you could pick one album you heard in your life, uh, in your youth probably, uh, that changed the way you, you thought about the world, what album was that or song? Ooh, um, I'm, I'm going to go, uh, wow. So uh, we're talking lyrics here. It doesn't be whatever. It could have been just like the music moved you, but what was it where you were like, whoa? I, I almost feel like I should do a Jim Morrison, The Doors, because of the the T-shirt that you gave my son, Quinn, right? But uh, the uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon. Nice. I I put a lot of time in listening to that over and over again. Um, I, I'll go with that as number one. Yeah. Greatest selling album of all time. Winner, winner. So yeah. the question is, did you watch it while watching The Wizard of Oz? Apparently they sing together. Right? <laughs> hundred times. A hundred times, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there's a recent interview where they swear that there is no correlation at all between their music and The Wizard of Oz, but it's still amazing to me. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, listen, Chad, amazing having you on the show. Thank you very much. Um, some great insights. Uh, it was just really cool. And just the way you you think about things, you think heavily about things, which is great. It's a, it's a real pleasure having you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing this, Bob, Ryan, Chris. Very much appreciate everything that you're doing. All right. It's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Okay, Bob, on a daily basis, the historical win rate is only about 55% for stocks, meaning 45% of all trading days have been losses, and just 5% of all trading days have closed at a new all-time high. Sounds like the markets are not fun on a daily basis. Well, they're not, right? It's why the stock market makes you feel bad all the time, right? <laughs> the days are down. Um, really comes down to that uh, behavioral finance phenomenon called loss aversion, right? Losses sting twice as much as gains feel good. Um, so, you know what? Stop looking. You know, you know long-term, if you're doing wealth planning, if you have a financial plan, you've done your projections, market's going to do their thing. Don't worry about the day-to-day, -day, right? If you, if you watch every day, you know, it's like watching a hot boil, right? You're, you're going to miss the event. You're going to get so bored. Yeah, and we talked about this stat before. I mean, the market only goes up big once in a while. And if you can predict those days ahead of time, well, man, oh, man, I'd like to have that crystal ball. Um, so it's time in the market, not timing the market, as we like to say. Chris. Well said. Thank you. Some 4,643 out of a total 7,108 funds have zero manager investment, meaning the fund managers have no skin in the game, according to Morningstar. Only 1,174 funds have over a million dollars of their managers actually investing in the fund. It almost seems as if most managers have no faith in their jobs. Man, that's a red flag. Well, you know, what we've been saying for many, many years that there's no benefit to active management. If we need another reason, here's one. Or it's kind of like the CEO that says you should buy this stock. This company's at a great value. But all the while, they're out there selling shares. Well, it reminds me, Bob, of the old story where when you were at Merrill Lynch, um, these wholesalers would come to your office and pitch their fund and tell you how great it was. And then you would ask them, well, how much of your family's money is in that fund? And you get a lot of silence. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, right? You know, if, you don't, if you're not willing to eat your own cooking, then get out of the kitchen. Yeah, it's not good. Well, listen, great episode. 
Thank you. I hope you enjoyed episode 116, Pain Points of Wealth. If you like our podcast, love our podcast, give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment there. Tell us how great we are, please. If this is on Spotify, you can go ahead and subscribe. And if this is on YouTube right now, please like the episode. You can subscribe to our channel. Click that notification bell to be updated every week of our new content. Your support gives us the ability to keep doing this podcast. That's it for this week. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Ryan, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. 